most things we do. <laughs> On that note, welcome to the Mormons and Drugs podcast, a weekly podcast wherein I discuss the shockingly frequent intersections of Mormonism, magic, and drugs. I'm Cody, the prep cook. I'm the pizza cook Ooh, today. Made a step up. History fan. Ranty host. Joining me as always is my co-host and producer, Moff Dula. You're wonderful. How you doing, Moff? Good. I get to be trapped in a cabin with you. You get to be. I appreciate your enthusiasm <laughs> through all this. We're learning about how to um, talk to people better. Uh, we learned how to open our eyes wide and, and misty. And misty. And misty. <laughs> so we need to cry to communicate better with people because we're both... And then open Hermits. mouth, show your teeth. It just sounds it just sounds terrifying. <laughs> we were trying to practice. And you have to walk in pretending you know everybody, your old friends. But they're speaking a different language. So you just don't really know what they're saying, but you're old you're good friends. You're it's all body language. It's all body language. We're gonna be like Ursula said. <laughs> By the end of this quarantine, we're going to be so good at talking to people. Mm-hmm. Or we'll look insane. Probably. <laughs> so not much changed. No. Let's talk about drugs and... Drugs and Mormons. Uh, maybe maybe we'll get to drugs. Here's a quick review. Uh, we've discussed the Smith family in depth and how their 19th century Christian uh, cultist worldview helped shape the impressionable mind of young Joseph Smith Jr., the alleged prophet and founder of the Mormon religion. We discussed Joe the Teenage Witch summoning treasure guardians that he later retconned into angelic messengers, and then got into some of Joe's magical mentors and his subsequent antics as a fledgling sorcerer, which eventually led to his arrest and trial for said behaviors. Now, uh, on to some of the real fun stuff. Joseph takes a wife and finally gains access to the Golden Bible. Now, is his wife the Stoles? You said he had a thing for Stoles. Isaac Hale, the guy that... Uh, so Stoll and him were run, running the money diggers, and they stayed at Isaac Hale's property. Oh. And because they were staying at his property, the, him and a bunch of the men in the Hale's fa- Hale family got a share of the treasure. Isaac Hale, the guy who owned the place. Um, okay, so Isaac Hale's, that's the 21-year-old girl that he was kind of googly-eyed for? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Emma. Emma. Emma Hale. So, uh, briefly, because this is pertinent to today's episode, uh, Joseph was instructed in 1823 by the spirit Nephi, or Moroni, the angel treasure guardian. Mm-hmm. White American. Native American. <laughs> yeah, the, the white Indian, the white Native American. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, to make his annual pilgrimages to the Hill Cumorah. Uh He was to bring with him his older brother Alvin, who in 1824 uh, died of a bowel obstruction just months later after mm-hmm. this revelation. Mm-hmm. And, they and uh, didn't dig up? Uh, yeah, Joseph Sr. may or may not have exhumed his eldest son's corpse for his sympathetically necromantic rites mm-hmm. in order to appease said spirit. Yes, you do. Like you do. Uh, <laughs> during this time, Joseph's nightly visions and promise of a golden book and occult guardian spirits began to circulate around this New York neighborhood. Because, okay. you know, it's no interesting. TV. Yeah. Uh, and most especially, it was circulated among the treasure-digging buddies of his. In in either 1825 or 1826, they visited this hill. Joseph brings fellow seer and treasure-digging enthusiast Samuel Lawrence, who we'll, we'll see later uh, in this, today, uh, who informs Joseph that there's also, with the Golden Book, a pair of magical spectacles, uh, later perhaps even in the same year of 1826 is when Joseph's brought on trial for conning resources and money out of his more gullible neighbors using money digging. And after a guilty verdict and subsequently jumping bail, he's arrested again and makes what accounts to a plea bargain in order to escape hard labor camp as we covered in our last narrative episode. But this is where we see this flip from teenage witch and occultist to fledgling prophet and revelator. 
And this guy, Samuel Lawrence, mm-hmm. uh, is apparently the first to suggest there's magical spectacles. Um, and if you're Samuel re- Lawrence suggests the spectacles, not, mm-hmm. not Joseph. Not Joseph. So, and if you'll remember, uh, um, Lumen Walters was apparently the one that gave him the idea of a golden book. So, oh, so neither. Wait, you didn't. How? Um, there's a few sources that list, um, like it's right after he meets and starts associating with Lumen Walters, mm-hmm. who apparently was talking about a golden book, which is a hermetic alchemical thing that you is talked about. Oh, um, is when Joseph started seeing a golden book. Okay, and then started so he talking starts about learning. It. Okay, it's and interesting then, how he starts reading or learning about something, and then all of a sudden incorporates it. Like there's a very mm-hmm. clear trail that well, he incorporates the, it into his story. The biggest apologetic argument for the Book of Mormon's authenticity mm-hmm. is like, how could this simple country bumpkin right. come be, have such an imagination? And when you look at the the text as like from like an autobiographical standpoint and like the books he had access to and that obviously had an influence on him, they're all stuff that treasure diggers were into. And like it yeah. <laughs> it all just becomes very apparent. Um Okay, so Samuel Lawrence kind of starts talking about it reminds me of this game that my kids have called googly eyes Mm -hmm. you can place different types of lenses and they make they like distort everything and you have to draw and you spin to know which one is more like the more intense version of it okay the the lenses the lenses yeah and you change out the lenses we should play it um i had a hard time because it makes me kind of sick if i get the really hard one but But yeah, so he's got his little, his googly eye glasses and, uh, or he, that's part of it to read the book. Yeah. So, um, that's when you see this evolution, the golden book starts to be, it was first like, um, dead native Americans that were treasure diggers. Okay. And then all of a sudden it was the golden book. And then a couple of years later, he brings Sam Lawrence to Hill Kimura. Walters comes in, you get the book. Lawrence comes in, you get the spectacles. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, it starts to circulate to such a degree that Joe apparently at some point leads a treasure digging expedition to this hill to like try and find the gold book. And uh, Lawrence, who's another seer, but not like the lead seer, mm-hmm. uh, helps him. And eventually they're like, oh, we found the wrong spot. And this hill is the one that the Mormons have now. Yeah, they okay. own, they have possession of it. Okay. This is the one that also in the Book of Mormon, if you, if it's true, mm-hmm. um, was the, the battle site of like a, a million plus casualty Native American, white Native American against dark Native American uh, race war. Wait, What? <laughs> <laughs> so the the site of the hill Cumorah, at the end of the book of mormon there's a uh a native american race war where the the righteous white native americans are finally wiped out by the um the wicked dark native americans so moronized people moronized people and this and he seals away the record are so, demolished by the current native americans yeah, we have today yeah, yeah. Cool. the last of his people Got it. and uh and so he seals away this record for joseph smith the uh, a righteous young Aryan this boy is okay to uh, redig yeah. them up yeah, yeah uh, we'll yeah. get into the racism of mormonism yeah yeah, later. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but but for now uh again this is we're at this point where joseph becomes a a, a prophet instead of a, a treasure digger uh, although he continues treasure digging um as we'll see uh, <laughs> um can't this was, it. As, as stated by a court attendee from his 1826 trial, uh, W. Purple, who I've quoted before, uh, quote, Joseph Sr. and Jr. were apparently mortified that this wonderful power which God had so miraculously given him should be used only in the search of filthy lucre or its equivalent in earthly treasures. Uh, it was his constant prayer to his Heavenly Father uh, to manifest his will concerning this marvelous power, trusted that the son of righteousness would someday illumine the heart of this young boy and enable him to see his will concerning him. All of the hises are capitalized because it's God. Oh, um, okay. I'm sorry. What is this from? This is from uh, I, this quote and a lot of the stuff from today is uh, in Dan Vogel's work, Joseph Brings the Plates Home. It's um, <laughs> a great name. <laughs> but uh, uh, William, William Purple uh, 
was one of the attendees to the 1826 trial, and they apparently said this. Oh, William Purple was there. Mm-hmm. And Joseph Sr. and, and Jr., uh, this was their argument before the court that, like, oh, God, oh, we were just. Okay. He has this ability to see things, and this poor boy, we got sucked into this occult nonsense, and, you know, I'm hoping someday we'll just straighten him out, and we'll become more righteous people. And I'm sure, like, the judge, there was no small amount of eye rolling from the way his uh, notes take oh, all of really? this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, as, as noted by behind the bastards host, Rob, Robert Evans, uh, one great thing that makes a con man like Joe jr. So successful is his ability to pivot under pressure. Mm. Um, while Joe made a pious show for the sympathetic Christians uh, at his 1826 trial, <laughs> a position one would be hard-pressed to argue with in antebellum America, mm-hmm. he, like all great conmen before and after him, continued on with business as usual. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> unsurprisingly, after dodging this uh, serious prison sentence for his occult conmanship, he continued these practices with the same men present at his trial, <laughs> namely Josiah Stoll, for whom Joe was originally arrested for conning, and Joseph Knight Sr., one of the men who testified on behalf of Joe's occult prowess. So he just go, like goes right back to living with this Josiah Stoll guy. Uh, and treasure digging for him yes learn new tools just stay out of bainbridge i guess was the lesson we learned for a wee bit another part of this theological pivot was for the now 21 year old smith to retain his moral purity and claim his public legitimacy by uh finding himself a good wife apparently this was one of the treasure diggers uh one of the treasure digging guardians uh instructions multiple neighbors reported that joe began claiming that uh until he obtained a wife wait 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 it's part of treasure digging to have a good wife? Uh, so a part of Joe's abilities, according to treasure digging lore, was that he was a, an, an uncontaminated youth. Mm-hmm. And at 21, when you're making googly eyes at a, a local girl, I'm, you got to get married dirty. or you're going to be a contaminated, filthy, Absolute dirty, filth. yeah. dirty boy. Absolutely. Um, I <laughs> so he, he decides he really likes Emma. And uh, I'm 21. And I really, I really am tired of being pure. I'm really tired of being pure. Um, There's a lot. So like uh, being pure was a a constant uh, anxiety of his Mm. through his teens because of his position as a a virgin scryer. Although Um, a good angle for us to keep the girls. No, that's a little too like chastity belt isn't it yeah, yeah it's all a little, right yeah, all right, yeah. right. now we're scratch no, scratch no, no, no. scratch yeah, yeah, all right i was gonna give him shiny rocks to look at a hat <laughs> but all right okay okay all right keep going um if it gets bad we'll consider it <laughs> so uh multiple neighbors uh reported that joe began claiming that he needed to obtain a wife uh that the spirit now angel mm-hmm. would not allow him to procure the plates unless he did so Ooh. um but it was probably because he was just itching in his pants. Really tired of being a virgin scryer. Um, whether the treasure guardian instructed him to do so the year prior or by his own volition, Smith sets his sights on the older Emma Hale, like I mentioned, uh, who probably he probably didn't get around a lot of girls that were into him at that time. Uh, it's Sorry. <laughs> Just I feel really bad for Emma for what's about to come. Um, I'm sorry. She didn't know. That's exactly how you wooed me. I saw you walking around down the street in a hat. Just now. (laughs) You just made me yell. I saw you walking with that top hat. No shoes on. (laughs) Down the street. Filthy. Staring into the hat, bumping into shit. And I was just like, that's that's the lucky one. That's the lucky one. (laughs) Yep. I had a magic rock with me. Yep. Tile brick with some tin plates attached to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> he the, again, Emma Hale was the daughter of Isaac Hale, who he a year prior had been on a treasure dig- digging excursion, um, and this was the the same one that eventually led to his arrest and trial. Uh, so Isaac probably didn't have a whole lot of reason to like Joe at this point. Um, from almost immediately after his trial in spring of 1826 until November of that same year, 
Joe works on and off again for Josiah Stoll in order to be closer to Emma because they live nearby. Uh, Stoll is likely under pressure from his family to stop financially supporting the magical con artist, uh, which was swindling him out of the family's money. And Joe is turned away eventually, and he just immediately begins working for Joseph Knight, who was also at his trial. Joseph Knight? Yeah. Okay. Joseph Knight Sr. Um, again, which was probably in order... Just trying to get these names straight because Joseph was a popular name, as was Josiah. So, yes, there's a lot of Josephs and Josiahs in this story. Mm. They were probably exchanging secret correspondence uh, for like a little over six months or so uh, until Joe uh, begins talking with Isaac Hale seriously about taking his daughter Emma as a wife, a proposition which he apparently bitterly opposes. Uh, Isaac was a keen man, and after watching this talented con man swindle himself and his neighbors out of time, land, and money, and then some months later being brought on trial for said behavior, he saw Joe exactly for what he was. Quote, uh, this is from Isaac Hale himself, Young Smith made several visits at my house and at length asked my consent to marrying my daughter Emma. This I refused and gave him my reasons for doing so, some of which were that he was a stranger and followed a business that I could not approve. This business of which he could not approve was, of course, uh, quote, his, meaning Joseph's, occupation was that of seeing or pretending to see by means of a stone placed in a hat, and this hat closed over his face. In this way, he pretended to discover minerals and hidden treasures, unquote. He's just like this... Who is he telling all this stuff? Where is this quote coming from? So this quote, uh, later after Mormonism started and all these neighbors kind of got together and were like, do you guys remember this guy? Yeah. Like A bunch of people started writing books about like, hey, maybe the public should know that this was crazy. Okay. As as crazy as it sounds. And so a bunch of people went around interviewing all of the people that were associated with this. Really? Um, And this is from one of those, like a bunch of people interviewed Isaac Hale because they're like, hey, you're... How do you feel about your daughter being married to this guy? Yeah. And he's like, oh, I hated it. And I've been opposed to it the entire time. The whole time. The whole time. And Even after he makes a decent living for them. Oh, just, just It gets worse in the next uh, two episodes. Okay. So uh, Isaac Hale, was, it starts out bad and just gets way worse for him. As we will see, uh, Joe really wasn't into formalities. Uh, you could probably tell from his 26th trial. Uh, Joe was really just into formalities, uh, and when it came to an object of his desire, ethics and consent were no concern of his. Uh, Long after Hale's refusal, in January 1827, Joseph waits for Isaac to be gone from the house and whisks Emma away to New York, where they elope. Okay. Uh, Stowell helps the newlyweds back to Manchester with uh, Joseph's parents, where they begin boarding with Joe's family. After a solid six-month cooling-down period living with Joseph's parents, Joseph and Emma and treasure-digging buddy uh, Peter Ingersoll make the trip back to Harmony, Pennsylvania in order to gather some of her possessions, which were still at uh, Emma's parents' house. Yeah. Uh, During what was likely a very tense reunion, (laughs) Joe is confronted by an understandably irate Isaac Hale, uh, during which a series of revealing statements were made. And this is all from Peter Ingersoll. He, someone interviewed him. So he, because he was in the middle of all this, later reported on this. Peter and Ingersoll? This is one of the treasure digging guys he, oh, he hung okay. out with. Okay. So Peter, this, this is all from him yeah. and he was there? Mm-hmm. Okay. He he basically had a wagon. And okay. A, and he a had horse. the truck. Got and, it. And uh, Joseph <laughs> hired him to, yeah, okay. move, move yeah. some stuff. Yeah, he had cool. the truck. Got it. <laughs> um, so this is from Peter Ingersoll. Mr. Hale addressed to Joseph in a flood of tears. You have stolen my daughter and married her. I had much rather followed her to the grave. Ouch. You spend your time digging for money, pretend to see in a stone, and thus try to deceive people. Joseph wept and acknowledged he could not see in a stone now, nor never could, and that his former pretensions in that respect were all false. He then promised to give up his habits of money digging and look into looking into stones, unquote. So he basically did exactly to Isaac Hale what he did in his 1826 court trial. It was just like, yeah, oh, this stuff, man. I'm t- it's just boys will be boys, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, but I'm I'm different now. I found God. Yeah. And this angel, I know, I, I know 
you heard me talk about this treasure guardian guy. I was, it's actually an angel. It's important to remember it's an angel and this is a golden Bible, not a golden book, golden Bible. And mm. uh, Isaac Hale just the whole time is, has n- wants nothing to do with any of this. Mm. Um, so Hale then goes on to promise Joe that if he would move to, back to Harmony so he could be near his daughter mm-hmm. uh, and accept honest work as a laborer, that he would support Emma and Joe as like a newlywed couple, that he would rent out this little farm cabin to them and just like give them a place to stay oh uh hale later noted that quote he had given up what he called glass looking and that he expected to work hard for a living and was willing to do so put aside his juggling yeah put aside his juggling and conmanship so they agreed that the couple would move back to the um hale place in the coming winter of 1827 to 1828 okay and then they would board with the hale family okay Um, that's what they said that's what they said but they took her stuff their her stuff back and on their way back to new york ingersoll recorded that joe played a very simple con on the toll keeper between new york which i think speaks to joe's kind of lifetime as a pious fraud it's very i just want to get into this real quick yeah Uh, Joseph told the gatekeeper that he would hand him a toll on his return as he was coming back in just a few days. On our return, Joseph tendered him 25 cents. The toll at the time was 12 and a half cents, that is. Okay. So he was giving him what he owed him. He did not recognize Smith, so he accordingly gave back the 12 and a half cents. So Joseph got one. He just paid one. Yeah, he paid. After he had passed the gate, I asked him if he did not agree to pay double gatage on our return. No, said he. I agreed to hand it to him. And I did, but he handed it back. Anyway, it's just it's like a simple con that you can do, especially like with somebody who knows a little mesmerism and mentalism techniques mm-hmm. that like Joe does. It's really easy to pull a simple con on somebody like that and just know they're probably not going to remember me if I walk like this and posture like this on the way here and maybe throw my voice here. And on the way back, I do it totally differently. They're never going to know and I only have to pay once. I think it just speaks to like Joe was being honest in his own mind. Right. But he also knew exactly what he was doing. And that's just kind of how he operates. He operates within the parameters of his own like very subjective morality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So back in New York uh, with the Smith family, Joseph spends the next few months working as a day laborer around local farmsteads. He also, despite the recent promise to his new father-in-law, continues his antics among the New York money diggers. Of course. Um, and, you know, the state of New York, essentially, when it, because of his trial. <laughs> Having already built himself a rather infamous reputation in the area as a talented scryer, they, quote, urged him day after day to resume his old practice of looking into the stone. He just, everybody just wouldn't leave me alone because I was so good at this. But he never, they never found it. <laughs> During this time, Joseph Capron, a neighbor of the Smith family, cites Joe Jr. as scrying the location of a chest of gold watches near his home. Wait, he finds a chest of gold watches. Yeah, near his home. But uh, the, the, the treasure was guarded by an evil spirit and uh, as was such was inaccessible uh, to magical excavation. So an ancient treasure of, of watches. gold watches. Yes. Uh, we'll get into some of the the cosmology because it mm. goes into um, a lot of the ancient inhabitants had uh, um, works of curious craftsmanship, which means they like did. very steampunky and time travel as they well. Had, <laughs> it's yeah, they had um, wooden submarines. Um, they had compasses that were powered by faith. Um, <laughs> they had um, it was very steampunky. I'm sorry, but this sounds like, I mean, obviously. Stole a bunch of watches. And yeah, and a chest full of like ancient watches, probably buried them. by Atlanteans. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 Something like that. Yeah, on dry land. <laughs> we'll get into all that stuff later. <laughs> anyway, uh, with the attention mounting and his occult reputation following him wherever he seemed to go, Joe really had to double down on his theological pivot from occultist to prophet. Mm. And so during his time, just before the alleged discovery of the gold plates, I think it's important to remember that the Smiths were working as field laborers at the time and that they loved their esoteric religious lore in seemingly equal parts with their intoxicants. This relationship was once again noticed by neighbors and recorded for posterity. 
reestablishing the regular display of the Smith family's pious conjunction of intoxication and Christian occultism. It is uh, during the fall harvest of 1827, just before he moves back to his his father-in-law's house, that uh, neighbor Barton Stafford stated the following, quote, he one day while working my father's field got quite drunk on a consumption of cider, molasses, and water. Finding his legs to refuse their office, he leaned upon the fence and hung for some time. <laughs> Super drunk. <laughs> At length, recovering again, he fell to scuffling with one of the workmen who tore his shirt nearly off him. His wife, who was at our house on a visit, appeared very much grieved at his conduct, and to protect his back from the rays of the sun and conceal his nakedness, threw her shawl over his shoulders and in plight escorted the prophet home. As evidence of his piety and devotion, when intoxicated, he frequently made his religion a topic of conversation. Um, <laughs> Aw, Emma so, sounds like she cared about him. She did, and you know, I have I have mixed feelings about Emma. I feel really bad and empathetic. I empathize with Emma's position. Um, she definitely was trying in the early parts of this uh, to, I think, maybe steer him in another direction. Oh, you do? Uh, I do. I don't think she was super in on all of this. Okay. Uh, first off, I think she just wanted a quiet life. Okay. Uh, I don't know if she necessarily knew what she was getting into. Yeah. She definitely yeah. rode with it. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, obviously. But uh, anyway, at this point, she, she definitely is is embarrassed by his behavior like this and this is all like he's treasure digging at night and he's field laboring during the day he's a hard-working guy and when during fall harvest when you harvest all the apples they are making cider and two weeks ago cider is way better than today's cider and he, of course uh i haven't really talked about it but molasses is a great uh carrier agent for um storing entheogenic uh agents it's um, it's typically used for herbalism, and I think it's more of a favorite back then because kids would take it. Yeah, like if, when I read all my books, they're always like, "And a great way to get kids to take it is use molasses." And mm -hmm. I'm just like, "No, no, well, not nowadays, ever, um, but <laughs> back then probably." <laughs> if you've ever uh, drank like well water, a lot of the time it was sulfurous, uh -huh. and it's just like stanky, shitty water. Yeah. But if you mixed it with cider, it was like not that bad. Right. And if you further mixed it with molasses, it was, it was yeah, pretty even nice. better. Yeah. Um, and if it was hard cider, it was, you could get pretty drunk off mm -hmm. of it. Um, but this was not, it wasn't weird for like laborers in the field to drink on shift. Uh, it was just weird for them to get so drunk they started fights with each other <laughs> and <laughs> tore one of their shirts off. And preached about their religion. Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> Likely downplaying his annual visits to commune with the spirit angel you know nephi moroni uh lucy mack makes it apparent that the family was not anticipating joe's finally retrieving the gold bible though it will be explored that it you know it seems likely that the family played an active part in these events I don't, his family his family the Smiths, all of them yeah okay everyone around them kind of i flip-flop between you know being conned versus being in on it uh I'm pretty convinced almost everybody in the Smith family knew something was going on. I don't know that they anticipated Joe would be so successful at it and maybe spin it the way he did. I think it was something they all maybe conceived of and that <laughs> Joe just kind of... Because we've discussed comparing his family to the original Pete's dragon. <laughs> the one we grew up with, with that family, which, oh my gosh, we should get a clip of it. And just like, <laughs> but so... That's sometimes how I imagine them. Other times, I imagine them. It's just... hard because, like, like clearly, uh, Joseph Smith Sr. and Lucy Mackett, like everyone else, really believed in Joe. And it's yeah, you uh, want to believe in your kid. I feel like a Joseph Smith to... Sr. is full in it, like deep, deep in it, as a as a con. I don't know. I for sure, Joe. I think his mother is. A believer of magic and, and probably believes in her son. Um, as we'll see in the, a little bit, there's scenes where she covers for her son and in kind of like an unnecessary way. Yeah, no, I um, think she So clearly she, she, she loved him believe. and believed in him. And I think maybe she, she's kind of the, the unspoken... Everyone kind of assumes like Joe Sr. may have been orchestrating some of this with mm -hmm, Joe. Mm-hmm. 
I also I also really think Lucy may have. We'll get we'll get into yeah, that later. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm digressing. digressing. Uh, Sorry, it's my fault. Um, so uh, neighbors associated with the local money digging operations reported that Joe had been speaking of the treasure guardian at Kamora and the gold Bible buried with the magic spectacles for like a few years at this point in 1827, even making excursions to the hill in order to scry and dig for treasure at Kamora. However, Joe, up until this point, had not provided a specific date and reliable method of retrieval. They just keep stringing all these guys along. But on September 20th of 1827. 1827. Mm-hmm. Just before he's supposed to move back to the Hales place right. in Pennsylvania. Right. Josiah Stoll and Joseph Knight Sr., the two guys that were at his trial that he's been like. So Joseph Sr. and Stoll. Okay. They stop at the Smith place. Uh, for a bit of respite because they were in the area uh, doing business stuff and probably also some treasure digging fun with Joseph Sr. But during this visit, Joe and Emma steal or maybe commandeer (laughs) Knight's wagon and horse and they secret away into the night. Okay. Um, It's kind of a quasi-serious thing. It's kind of like Grand Theft Auto today. Except (laughs) sometimes there was a... There was a uh, hanging offense associated with it. So this was kind of a ballsy. Oh. Maybe not in New York at the time. But okay. Like, and if you did this in Montana at the time, you'd be hung. If you stole someone's. Not if you Montana, bar- it wasn't well, state, but. borrowed. It, they borrowed, quote unquote, a car. Yeah. So a they ride. Borrowed their friend's car while okay. he was off, like, doing his treasure digging okay. thing. Maybe doing some treasure digging stuff. Yeah. And actually, it, this is where Lucy co- starts covering for them. Okay. Like, Lucy Mack knows what's going on. Okay. Joseph apparently is like, hey, just calm down. It'll be fine. We're mm-hmm. going to go get the plates and everything. Cool. And the day is finally here. So just, like, cover for us. So, anyway, um, at, at midnight, they do this all at midnight for occult reasons. Uh, on a full moon during the autumn equinox, uh, he was dressed all in black, having also coated himself in lamp black, which he purchased from a Palmyra grocer just a few days before. Like, they have the receipts for this stuff. Oh, cool. And he properly equipped, you know, for occult workings. Joe and Emma left with the wagon and trekked up the, the lightly forested hill on this on the edge of this town. Hours later, Emma, waiting alone uh, in this wagon, after the witching hour had passed and dawn was rising on the 22nd of September, Joe returned from his communion with the treasure guardian, seemingly without treasure once again. That morning, both Joseph Sr. and Joseph Knight were anxiously wondering where the Knight's wagon had disappeared to uh, when Joe and Emma finally returned to the Smith family home. While without the gold Bible, Joseph has with him apparently magic spectacles, what later become known as the Urim and Thummim to Mormons today. Though, as we'll see, he doesn't really ever seem to use them. Although most Mormons, when they think of Joseph Smith translating, they see them with magic spectacles. But he has them. He apparently had something, but we'll get into this. He he shows what appears to be, you know, magic spectacles through uh, a cloth to some of his family, uh, including the visiting knight uh, whose wagon he'd just stolen. In a sort of like sideshow approach, Joe only allows the spectacles to be handled while covered with canvas. So they don't get to see them. They can just feel them inside. Okay. Yeah. So Lucy Mack described them as, quote, two stones, smooth, connected with each other in the same way old-fashioned spectacles are made. So have you ever seen the old circle, like the Benjamin Franklin mm-hmm. glasses? Mm-hmm. Just like wire wrapped around glass, mm-hmm. wrapped around your ears? Uh, that's what she's referring to. Okay. And this kind of goes with that idea of like the chest of gold watches. Like this is uh, ancient technology that was lost to us. But like instead of just glasses that let you see better these were like magic glasses that let you see through time and space mm-hmm. <laughs> again it's that whole idea that this is like christian uh, fan fiction while not revealing the location of the gold bible joseph gives a detailed description of the plates their weight and physical dimensions for the first time and that they appear to be of gold so he's claiming that he just went and did that yeah okay. and that he hid them away in a log got it so as to like keep them safe because uh, he didn't so have a trunk. could he have stolen the wagon 
gone to some place to commission someone to make something and Whoa. also had we'll get we'll get into that remember his okay. dad was a cooper which means he uh he made barrels for a living uh-huh. um as like a side gig so i didn't his dad... know what a cooper was so thanks for <laughs> clarifying his dad was a cooper part-time okay and so he had a shop full of tools Okay. And we'll get into that in just a bit. But okay. tin plates were easily accessible to him. <laughs> and and anyway, we'll get we'll get into that in just a second. All right. Um, anyway, as Knight observed, the guy whose wagon he just stole, mm-hmm. Joseph seemed to think more of the glasses than he did the plates. He was like describing the plates, but he had the glasses and he was making a bigger deal. He was like, but I have these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pay attention, pay attention. <laughs> um, Joseph himself described them as marvelous. They were two transparent stones set in a rim of a bow. Um, Wish you could see them. Yeah, I, I can't, but I can't show them to you because, like... Will you die? I mean, they didn't have the Indiana Jones scene where, like, the Nazis' faces melted, uh-huh. but I have a feeling that's how he described okay. it. Okay, just, just like, want to make sure. The yeah. power of God will compel in God. your face. Oh, God, yeah. you can't Ugh, see him. Yeah. But you can feel him because God didn't say anything about you feeling yeah. God's... We can trick God. Trick God. I just... I, the logic here is... I, solid. It's solid. <laughs> frustrates me sometimes um being that no one was allowed to see them under death penalty for you know the wrath of a fiery sword wielding angel that he regularly described the method of sensory exploration provided uh just to a few members of his family it seems more likely that smith created his first religious relic or prop shall we say by simply securing two circular crystals in a metal rod bent into the shape of a figure eight it's just he basically wire wrapped two crystals, uh, twisting them into a figure eight mm-hmm. and then made two hooks for the ears. And this is a feat that would have proven, you know, incredibly simple for the son of a Cooper who probably helped his dad from time to time, as Joe did and was. And, you know, took no more tools than an iron rod and a pair of pliers. Mm-hmm. Uh, this prop, while a useful directional tool for skilled occultists and mesmerists, would uh, likely prove to be exactly what it was given a close inspection. So, uh, you know, he had to, that's why I had to cover it and just like make it a sideshow thing. Was there a story about where he found them and all of that? Yes. And we'll get to that as well. I've written so much lately. I don't even know anymore. If not, we'll circle back around. Anyway, uh, adding to this uh, kind of speculative approach, Joe seems to have had no trepidation in showing off uh, the stone he had found while digging for a well the same that he later will use to translate the entirety of the Book of Mormon. So he has no problem showing you this magic stone. But as we'll soon explore, Joe conveniently pivoted once more and provided a great retcon for these spectacles, you know, later absence. Because that's like a common complaint is apparently the angel took back the the magic plates um, after he'd given him back the Urim and Thummim, the, the magic spectacles. But everyone's question is like, so what happened to the magic spectacles? Because they disappeared? Yeah. Well, it, it was like years after he'd taken back just the Bible, and he actually kind of, he did that, one of those pivots again. It was like, oh, I forgot to mention about the spectacles. Here's why I don't have those. Even though everyone that watched him translate the Book of Mormon, he never used them. He stuck his stone hey. in a hat. Yeah. And this is the stone that he has no problem showing people. Just the whole thing is weird, and it's pretty obviously one of his cons to like quiet everybody and to win some favoritism. It's my own editorialism. I need to stop doing that. I'm trying to be journalistic, but I'm not a professional. Well, um, you do that in your book. Yeah. Here there's a little more free range. Send your complaints. We won't read them. <laughs> I, I probably won't. While the Smith family publicly feigned ignorance in regards to the discovery of the translation of what would become the Book of Mormon, reveal a different side of this history. This is from neighbor Joseph Capron, who was commenting about Joseph Smith Jr. Quote, he, meaning Joseph Smith Jr., and indeed the whole of this family of the Smiths were notorious for indolence, foolery, and falsehood. At length, Joseph pretended to find gold plates. This scheme, he believed, would relieve the family from all pecuniary embarrassment. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. His, meaning Joseph's, father, meaning Joseph Sr., told me that when the book was published that they would be enabled from the profits of the work to carry into successful operation the the money-digging business. He gave me no intimation at that time that the book was to be of a religious character or that it had anything to do with revelation. He declared it to be a speculation and said he, when it is completed, my family will be placed on a level above the generosity of mankind, unquote. So 
originally when he was going around telling people about this, Joseph Sr. seemed to have grabbed onto this thinking that he could fund money digging operations. Mm -hmm. So he, I think, really believed in this stuff, at least. Um, But what were were they promoting this book was about then? It was just a scheme they they hopped up. And if it was just Joseph, Joseph Sr. seems to have actually believed it from the get-go, but in like a treasure digging context, thinking that, yeah, it was probably a record of ancient Native Americans like Joe liked to talk about. Okay, so he's just looking at his purely as But he doesn't know that it's like a a second testament of Jesus Christ the way that Mormons today were. Yeah. And this apparently was never part of the narrative while he ran around talking about this for a few years. For senior. For any of the Smiths. He just ran around talking about this gold book that was a record of Native Americans. Okay. And then it became, oh, and it was not a treasure guardian. It was an angel. And this is a golden Bible. It's And then people were like, what's up with golden Bible? It's another testament of it's like a it's another bible in america (laughs) um so uh you know joe jr was not incredibly discreet in uh private correspondence either like his father joe senior joe could not help but take the opportunity at attempting to turn a profit uh willard chase the guy who he found his stone with reported that joseph Quote, requested me to make him a chest, informing me that he designed a Pennsylvania and expecting soon to get his gold book. He wanted a chest to lock it up, giving me to understand at the same time that if I would make the chest, he would give me a share in the book. Suggesting that Joe, like, originally just thought this was a a way to turn profit. Despite the fact that the angel explicitly told him, you can't use this (laughs) to gain earthly. Oh, he did? Yeah. I was like, one of, the only way you can get this is if this, this, and this happens. Oh, Whoa. and it's a gold book, so you can't use it to make earthly profits. What? Well, that's like all he did. <laughs> yeah, it's a paradox, isn't it? Why would he throw that in there? Because it's, uh, <laughs> this whole thing is a mess because it was just a constant uh, evolution. It's like L. Ron Hubbard with Scientology. Mm. It's just like at the end, you have Xenu with, uh, you know, soul generators and the hearts of volcanoes and you're like what's happening and this starts out similar (laughs) and ends with like god is a white aryan paradise making racist that lives in the center of the galaxy on a star named kolob and there's floating tribes of jews in space i didn't realize it got so oh it gets deep we will get deep my grandma didn't tell me any of this (laughs) most mormons won't most Mormons try not to think about it too much. As a little kid, I probably totally would have been like, wow, really? <laughs> this is so cool. Awesome. Well, as we'll get into it, like uh, the founder of uh, or the creator of Battlestar Galactica was Mormon. And there's a lot of Mormon theology Actually, baked I into yes, you Battlestar told me Galactica. That. No, no, you're, I did not buy into the whole God thing as a child. So never mind. It wouldn't have worked. I'd be like, whatever, Grandma. <laughs> So Chase offers to build the chest for Joseph if he can produce the book visually and convince him of its reality. Uh, Joseph counters that he can't show anyone the plates for two years and that he can't gain access to the plates without a chest to keep them safe. So you have to make me a chest. Uh, The fact remains, however, that Joseph and his father were concocting some kind of plan to capitalize on the esoteric worldviews of the burned over district of New York. Uh, they were going to give some kind of book that just doesn't really appear that they had a clear idea as of what yet. Seems yeah. to be a, a kind of an evolution of ideas. Yeah, and they're building up the suspense yeah. with that. So, in any case, uh, Willard Chase, a socialite of the local money diggers and occultists, then tipped off the group with which Joseph was associated because those men were under an equal share contract with one another, meaning that they had an equal share in any profits they found for money digging. Mm-hmm. And because Joseph was money digging to find this gold book, they were like, just very justifiably felt they owned a piece of what uh, Joseph's profits were going to be. And if he's like offering shares to a guy who makes him a chest, who's involved with these money diggers, everybody's just like, hey, so you offered him a share. Is that my share or is that a piece of your share? Because... <laughs> We all have a share, and you're offering shares to somebody not in the not in the group. <laughs> um, so, 
This is from uh, um, Martin Harris, who we'll get to. But, quote, the money diggers claimed that they had as much a right to the plates as Joseph had, and as they were in company together. They claimed that Joseph had been a traitor and had appropriated to himself that which belonged to them. Mm-hmm. As we'll see, this is not all Joseph will appropriate. <laughs> um as stated, this feeling was more than understandable as a number of men from the money digging group had been taken to the hill Cumorra even by Joseph, where he had led occult excavations on the hill, where he apparently then extracts the gold book later. With people? No, by himself, okay. with Emma. Okay. Oh, with mentioned. Emma. Yeah, that he, he gets the gold plates, quote unquote, and it, within a week leaks to everybody. And it a, a group of money diggers that are associated with him, uh, understandably, are like, hey, um, like a month ago, we all worked our asses off while you and you pointed at sticks at each other. I dug a 12-foot hole. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> if you found a gold book, we have a contract. I own a piece of that gold book. I totally empathize with these guys. Because <laughs> yeah. um, they probably did a lot of the hard labor while Joseph pointed at things. So visions of golden plates and magic spectacles had even been scried by other members of the group, Samuel Lawrence being one of them. Mm-hmm. The guy, the guy that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. and even possibly Lumen Walters, who comes back in very quickly. Joe's old occult mentor and likely provider of entheogenic schooling, as we covered, was actually contracted by this group to come back to the area to scry for the gold Bible. Walters. Walters. Okay. So he, Joe's old mentor even gets rehired by this group to go find his gold Bible by occult methods. Wait, but I thought Joe had already gotten it. He did, but he was hiding it, and they knew it. So they were they hired Walters, who had trained Joe to find it. This was like this weird battle of wizards that I just love, but not Um, because Walters is in on it. Well, he, if you remember, is the one that gave him the idea to find a gold. Right? No, I know. (laughs) So gets, and then he becomes a maybe a member of the church later. What? It's it gets. We'll get back to Walters. We'll get back to Walters. (laughs) So whether uh, the Smiths had fabricated a set of plates as a sort of like esoteric sideshow business or Joe had actually been given gold plates of ancient wisdom by another worldly being, the money diggers clearly believed the latter and they were expending a lot of uh, time and resources to reappropriate that which they felt was contractually theirs. So just just days after Joseph showed up at home with his prop spectacles and he claims that he finally had possession of the plates, Joseph Sr. heard rumors that the money diggers, these guys led by neighbor Willard Chase, who he got the stone from, were planning to take the plates from the family. Again, this is like a great little like wizard battle <laughs> in like 19th century. Sauron uh, and, America. and Gandalf? <laughs> Not Quite no, not cool. quite. No, uh, all right. But no. still, it's weird to be, be popping up wizard battles in Mor- tower. And this they're... is what wizard battles look like in Mormonism. Just about as lame as everything else looks <laughs> in Mormonism. <laughs> so the next morning, Joseph Senior travels to Samuel Lawrence's home, where he hears the men are congregating, and he spies on their plans before he's cut short by Lawrence's wife, who catches him eavesdropping. He actually like <laughs> wasn't like... very subtle. He just like. <laughs> Walked into the house, opened up a newspaper, was just like looking Shut at the up. newspaper. I was picturing him like sneaking around, like listening to like, you know how I didn't, they don't have glass or anything. It's just like a curtain blowing in the wind and he's just like listening. <laughs> I like to think of him just like marching up the steps and be like, people know me here because I, we hang out together. <laughs> and he opens up a paper upside down. And he starts <laughs> like, just look natural, just Joe. In the paper. Natural Joe. <laughs> so... Uh, clearly having fallen out of favor with Joseph Jr. or simply having been paid to act his rival, uh, Walters was at the house, heard by Smith Sr. exclaiming, I'm not afraid of anybody. We will have them plates in spite of Joe Smith or all the devils in hell. It's like 19th century Tarantino level cussing. Yeah. It's really dirty back then. Yeah. Joseph Jr., who'd been hired by a local man to work on a farm, which was probably a ruse in order to distract him from the other diggers, mm-hmm. was subsequently warned by his frantic wife, who delivered the message on horseback. Joseph popped his brown seer stone into a hat and proclaimed that the plates were safe for the time being, but he jumps on a horse and him and Emma like ride off into the distance. Nope, they're all good. But so let's the, leave the whole anyways. Point of this was, seems to have been like to distract each other, so like they could never scry the treasure while the other people were distracted. Does that make sense? No. Like, so... 
they distract Joe so they can hire Walters to scry the location of the plates, which they know are hidden in the woods. Joe finds out that they know, scries the location of the plates, and sends his dad back there to keep them busy while he scries and goes to get the plates. And it, they, they wizard battle. Upon returning with Emma to the Smith's residence, uh, who relieves the family by revealing he had hidden the plates after he first gained possession of them. He's like, that's why I didn't have the plates. I hid them because I'm so smart. He, he hid them about three miles away within the hollowed out wood of a log. Later that night, Joseph Jr. stations Joseph Sr., like I said, near the, the Lawrence's homestead to watch the money diggers and make sure they don't scry while he's off to get the plates in the woods. Smith Sr., who can't see any activity with the money diggers, uh, returns home and waits for Joseph Jr., who, you know, a few hours later rushes into the house uh, with an incredible story and a heavy bulk wrapped under his coat. Oh. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, my gosh. Uh, later locking up the plates in a chest provided to him by his brother Hiram, Joe related that after he had retrieved the plates from an old log and wrapped them up in a coat, he decided to cut through the woods on his way home rather than take the main roads because, you know, all the treasure diggers. Out to get them. Um, There's mutiny about. Not long after his journey back to the Smith farm, he claimed that, quote, as he was jumping over a log, a man sprang up from behind him and gave him a heavy blow with a gun. Joseph turned around and knocked him to the ground and then ran at top of his speed. About half a mile further, With he was attacked. The golden book in his hand. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get into how we'll, we'll get into this little account. <laughs> okay. Um, about a half mile further, so he runs top speed for a half mile. Okay. With his gold book, about a half mile further, he was attacked again in precisely the same way. What? So he's getting pistol whipped. <laughs> just people jumping out of woods, pistol whipping him, and he just like one arm, just Heisman Trophy, just da da da. Dang. Um, he soon All brought American. this. <laughs> he soon brought uh, this one down. Also, you know, same like one single punch. Yeah, Superman punch. Yeah, and again he runs on, leaps over the log. But before he gets home, he was accosted a third time. What? With the severe stroke of a gun. <sighs> uh, Joseph struck his third and final attacker with such force that he dislocated his thumb. His thumb. Yeah, he continued running. I'm being- sorry. We'll get to the thumb. Just, just. I know. I know your logical brain's trying to jump into this story. You just don't let it. <laughs> don't let it. Won't, won't <laughs> stop him right now. So he continues running, quote, being closely pursued until he came near his father's house, at which time his assailants, for fear of being detected, broke off the chase. Reaching the fence corner, he threw himself down to cover his breath. Then rose and continued running until he reached the house. Oh my gosh. I'm out of breath. (laughs) (laughs) The veracity of Joseph's narrative will be explored soon, just like I said. But for the time being, let's focus on those plates, okay? Whatever they were, gold, we can be certain. (laughs) They were not. (laughs) So, this is according to Joseph Smith himself. Okay. This is Joseph's own words about the plate. Each plate was six inches wide and eight inches long and not quite so thick as common tin. It's funny you mentioned the tin. (laughs) They were filled with engravings in Egyptian characters and bound together in a volume as the leaves of a book with three rings running through the hole. The volume was something near six inches in thickness, a part of which it was sealed. The characters on the unsealed part were small and beautifully engraved. The whole book exhibited many marks of antiquity in its construction and much skill in the art of engraving, unquote. While a well-articulated and fanciful description, a book of those dimensions made of solid gold would weigh approximately 200 pounds. By all accounts from Smith's family, as well as the men and women that eventually handled these plates, they were consistently describing a mass weighing 50 to 60 pounds. Apologists will argue that the plates were only described as having the appearance of gold, but by virtue of the fact that Joseph was instructed by the treasure guardian to not use the book to seek earthly gain, it seems that this argument is kind of a bullshit stretch at best. Oh, I see why he so he couldn't sell the book. Yeah, that's it's gold. why. Yeah, it's gold, so that's why he couldn't yeah. make earthly gain. Got it. That makes sense. Um, but if the sheets were made of hammered sheets of tin mm-hmm. or mace, so like he described this, there's this book 
with loose leaves on top, mm-hmm. but the bottom two thirds of this book are sealed. So they have like bands running around them. Okay. If the plates were made of hammered sheets of tin or a masonry brick with attached tin sheets on top. Hi, guys. Uh, I had to go to work, so there is a brief blip in the recording, and we had to stop and continue on at another time. So here you go. (laughs) Yeah, so that would explain the masonry brick with the hammered sheets on top, because as we'll see, uh, Emma in particular, like, handled the plates through the cloth and mm-hmm. she spent so much time around them that she like played with them and she mentions them being thin sheets that would rustle when you played with them i'm sorry like if i was emma <laughs> when joseph went out immediately look. immediately look <laughs> well we'll get into okay maybe not immediately like i'd go like a day two days and then I'd just be like i am so like I, I'd probably fondle them a lot and see and test it out and just be like, no, there is no way. And then I'd look. Well, she gives an account of uh, of them like crinkling when she would thumb mm-hmm. them. Yeah, I remember. Like metal pages. Mm-hmm. But but gold doesn't do that. Right. Gold's too soft to make a sound like that when you when you thumb sheets of it. Yeah. I think we did. So it, you again, did bring that up one time. And I remember you saying okay. like how she described it and it made sense. Um, again i've never really you know fondled gold or tin for that matter (laughs) but um you know more experience with that uh i don't don't know for sure she (laughs) there's no way she didn't bake (laughs) (laughs) well regardless if it was a a hammered tin or like hammered tin with a masonry brick underneath it Mm -hmm. which was attached by like rings at the back Mm -hmm. this feat would again be easily achieved by a young man with his father's Cooper's tools, as Smith had access to. Consequently, uh, no less than three of Smith's associates, um, including his employer and money-digging buddy Josiah Stowell, eventually peeled off the plate's covering when he wasn't looking. Or like, <laughs> I love that story, and they yeah. And they witnessed the corner of a masonry brick. So, including the masonry brick accounts with the tin sheets that Emma was talking about, I think it leads... Like Joseph had a prop set of plates that were mm-hmm. masonry brick about two thirds, and then the top was a bunch of hammered sheets of tin. Yeah, he got sick of making the sheets. H- historian Dan Vogel uh, pretty fairly speculates that Joseph probably had a set of uh, prop plates which he was creating in private in the woods. Yeah, which is why he kept going back there. Yeah, and that after hearing the neighbor about the neighborhood commotion surrounding his very ill kept secret. Uh, that he hurriedly like finished the gold Bible w- with Emma waiting in the wagon, and he injured his thumb bending the the wires into place, uh, which would account for remember he ran through the woods and like was Superman punching guys, and he dislocated his thumb. Oh, he dislocated his thumb. Yeah. Oh, I thought he dislocated the the angel that he was attacking. No, he his dislocated thumb. his own thumb. <gasps> Superman oh. punching all these attackers that were pistol whipping him, um, and then. <laughs> This is what Dan Vo- Dan Vogel thinks that was like a story to explain his messed up thumb, okay. which he actually messed up just finishing the plates. Just trying to rush and finish it. Yeah. And like as a blacksmith, does that That's, make sense? Oh my God, yes. Okay. Uh, there's, there's an old saying that uh, blacksmiths only go to hell for two reasons, not charging enough or hammering cold steel. Okay. So like trying to work cold steel uh-huh. in the woods is really hard, especially if you have just your hands and a pair of pliers and you're hurrying. Yeah. The likelihood he would have injured his hand in that way is super high. It's probable. Okay. So Dan Vogel, I think, very accurately assessed what actually happened versus the story. Regardless, uh, one must also recall that Joseph's traumatic leg injury as a child, which while, you know, uh, this is a quote from one of the church publications, quote, the surgery was successful, although Joseph walked the next several years with crutches and showed signs of a limp for the rest of his life, unquote. Remember, (laughs) running several miles through difficult terrain in the woods at night while carrying 50 to 60 pounds of mass and fending off armed attackers uh, with, you know, like these mythological Superman punches (laughs) seems a near impossibility for even the most seasoned athlete. An absolute impossibility for one with Joe's medical history. Yeah. I've even seen them do um, demonstrations with like like pro football players trying to run with 50, 60 pounds on them. Yeah. And then other people trying to tackle them. And it's just laughable. Like they don't even make it a football field before they're gassed out because that's, you know, a football. It's hard to do that with just a football, but you do that with 50 or 60 pounds and it's a, it's a feat. Yeah. You're weighted. 
So, uh, anyway, Joe's story, whatever happened in those woods that night, I am most certain (laughs) that we can be certain of two things. That Joseph did not fend off three armed attackers with, you know, Bruce Lee-like karate chops while running through the woods while carrying upwards of 50 or 60 pounds held close to his chest. Is dislocating your thumb something that happens when you punch people? Uh, It can, yeah, but you have to be punching them like an idiot. Okay, that's what Um, I thought. It's not a common injury for people that know how to punch people. Okay. Oh, and uh, secondly, I I think we can be certain that the so-called plates he brought home that night were nothing but a prop, which he planned, you know, to meet his occult financial ends. Yeah. So now he has the book. He has the plates. He has something like magic specs, but they somehow like just disappear after this. He has the spectacles wrapped up and people can feel them. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the book. We didn't really get into his account of, I think we did when he found the, when he first had the vision of the plates, when he opened them up and there was like the breastplate, mm-hmm. the book, the spectacles, yeah, and then slapped. that toad that like yeah, turned into the, a human. Yeah, it um, slapped him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember being like, why? So uh, he never mentions the breastplate. So also apparently during this excursion through the woods, he either hid the breastplate and ran or he ran with it, according to his story. Um, and he'd already brought the spectacles home. But the spectacles like could attach to the breastplate and like swivel upwards and just sit in front of your eyes. So cool. Very steampunky. I love so it. So cool. But he uh, he never mentions carrying the breastplate. Okay. And we just don't really know anything about it until probably a few episodes later. I'm pretty um, sure in... In my favorite movie, Legend, that's the breastplate that Jack goes and gets. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was in that cave, and only Una, the fairy, knows where it oh is. Oh my God! Yeah, Joseph was Joseph was the original Jack. <laughs> no. 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 Did I just ruin it for yeah. you? Oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will end here for now because I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep going, and we're already over an hour. But the fight for these plates is not over. In our next episode, uh, Joseph's going to meet his first financial backer, Martin Harris. <laughs> yeah. Getting uh, patrons. Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> uh, we'll also explore the money digger's next attempt to procure the plates uh, and Joseph's you know, dramatic flight to the Hale homestead where he will begin translating the Book of Mormon or this gold book that later becomes the Book of Mormon as a teaser and... As should be unsurprising by now. I feel like that's the trope of the show. Just like stop being surprised at how crazy this gets. Uh, Isaac Hale, Joseph's father-in-law, was not impressed by Joseph's new career as a modern-day prophet. For as he observed, it looked a lot like his old career. (laughs) Quote, this is Isaac Hale. Okay. The manner in which he pretended to read and interpret was the same as when he looked for the money diggers God with damn it. the stone in his hat and his hat over his face while the this book kid. of plates was at the same time hidden the woods, unquote. So he's saying like... Nothing's different. Nothing's different. The book of plates isn't even in front of him. He's, tr- he's literally receiving it or like automatic writing. This is not translating. Could you imagine his face at Emma? <laughs> really? Really, this guy? This guy? This this guy. This guy. Cool. Should have rather I'd rather followed you to the grave. <laughs> I totally understand that sentiment after, you know, his he's done with Joseph. Also tellingly, the Hales do not join the church. <laughs> what? So all of these people, uh most or most of them, even including some of the money diggers that are trying to get the plates, some eventually join the church. Mm-hmm including, it looks like Lumen Walters, but some of his Lumen Walters' direct family, like his sister and his brother-in-law, definitely are in the Kirkland years. So it's telling to me that all these guys eventually did join the church. They may have been in on it in some level. Uh, Dan Vogel suggests that uh, the this like bat- wizard battle that ensued was all like trumped up by Joseph to h- sell the Book of Mormon and like okay. hype it up, okay. which is totally plausible. Yeah. But... As we'll see, it uh, a lot of them joined the church and the Hales specifically for the rest of their lives. Just are like, no, I I don't like that kid. I didn't like him originally. Right. It took me very, like, weeks to figure out that he was a charlatan, and he has dealing. my yeah. da- daughter, and so, I have to deal with you people interviewing me every few months <laughs> for the rest of my life. This is wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> super psyched about Joseph. Did they get to see their grandkids and stuff? Like, were they still? involved yeah. with their lives 
Um, I know Emma kept in contact with her family. Okay, uh, I just didn't know if that was part of like, because I know a lot of Mormonism kind of, if you're not involved in it, you just isolate yourself mm-hmm. from, like if you don't, if you decide to like be Mormon, then it's like, all right, you're leaving the rest of your family behind and you just kind of dive into whatever community, Mormon community that's there. And uh, I didn't know if that might have been like the start of that. Like, right from the get. Yeah, I think definitely when the early years of the church get so crazy and they have to move around so often that I don't imagine she had time to visit her family often. I don't know much about her story. Which I think is pretty typical for most married women back then. Yeah. But I didn't know if this was something like part of the church where it's like, if you aren't with us, then you're against us. Oh, for sure. And we are isolating. And there was definitely a level of estrangement to their relationship afterwards. Um, I don't know enough about Emma, Emma Hale after the whole Joseph Smith thing. Cause when he dies, she has this whole adventure just like trying to stay alive. Cause there's people that actually look, like, want her and her son dead for a bunch of reasons we'll get into, but she, I think kept in contact with her family. I don't imagine she got to see them much often if ever again, Yeah. but that's again, I don't know that for sure. Okay. I'd have to look into that a little more. Next episode, we'll go into Martin Harris. So there you go. Thanks, Cody. Bye.